everyone, we're back with the Arts Equator Theatre Podcast. I have with me, as is the custom, Naeem, and I've also got Charlene Regendron, who teaches theatre at NIE and is a dramaturg. This week, we'll be talking about Tiger of Malaya by Theatre Ekamatra, written by Alfie and Saad. It's a complicated play to give a synopsis of, so I'm probably going to chicken out and let everybody else chime in for a while. So, um, hi everyone. Um, so, Tiger of Malaya. Uh, oh, it's very. It's basically a play about a group of modern day actors, Singaporean and Japanese actors, mm. who have been commissioned to do um, a response to a 1943 Japanese propaganda film called Marai no Tora, which is Tiger of Malaya. And I'm sure it was beautifully pronounced. And. The original film basically had this character uh, who was a Japanese secret agent who sort of was a Robin Hood kind of figure. After being mistreated by the evil British. Yeah, to sort of liberate the Malay natives from the evil British people and, you know, dodging the Chinese capitalists along the way and kind of had a lot of racial stereotypes. And we had, for example, the Malay native characters being portrayed by Japanese actors in brown face. Uh, We had these very cardboard villain-like Chinese characters. Mustache twirling. Yeah, you know, (laughs) really every stereotype um, along the way. So what these modern actors are trying to do is that they're trying to respond to the film in a kind of more culturally sensitive light. And the way in which the play is set up is that we have scenes from the film which are kind of projected on these white screens Mm. um, in the background with the actors then kind of doing a new version of it and then also stepping back to just see how that version or that... Particular to what interpretation, they can see on the yeah, yeah, kind of, you know, what kind of issues that throws up. And meanwhile, um, interacting with each other and working out the struggles that they have as different cultures. The Singaporean, is it only Singaporean or is it in fact Malayan Chinese? Yeah. Uh, and then interacting with these flown in Japanese people that they really don't know very well. Yeah. 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 And I think that the play attempts to discuss and examine and question what it is is happening in live performance when actors, theatre people, arts people collaborate with people from another culture. In this instance, it was Singaporeans and Japanese actors, but literally actors are playing actors on stage. So Siti Khalija is playing Farida, the actor, who is playing a range of characters from the film that include Japanese and non-Japanese characters because I remember she was the investigator so she plays a male character I mean she was basically in charge so she got to choose what part she wanted as a as a character slash actor so she just played everything so she played a range (laughs) of things and and Ray Po who plays Liang Tik I think it's his the um, evil Chinese guy and then he doesn't actually want him to be evil because it feels like he's betraying yeah. So How there Chinese are these actually were in the war. Micro macro layers that move in yep. and out in relation to real life Singapore as well as the film world 
and then the world in Malaya in 1940s. Yes. Yeah. So it really yeah. is three layers. So it's, it's, it's incredibly layered. So it's complicated. Yeah. They, they're trying to recreate the play, but then, as you said, you know, there are all these issues which they bring about, you know, the differences between the conventions of Malay theatre and Chinese theatre, um, you know, all these kind of caricatures. And indeed Japanese, the whole yeah, aesthetic and Japanese, clashes. And, and, you know, just riffs on, on a, a whole range of theatre conventions which, you know, are kind of mostly kind of introduced through comedy, but, you know, mm. that all kind of features throughout the play. So it's very meta-theatrical. It's, it's constantly kind of... Um, breaking the fourth wall and, you know, also trying to interrogate all these issues of culture and race. Yeah. There's a lot going on. It, it's it's definitely a complex play. It's a huge mouthful to bite, isn't it, Charlene? Yeah, it's a complex play which asks some very basic everyday questions that we encounter in everyday life, such as, what do you do when you come into contact with somebody whose culture you don't particularly understand? Yeah. Yeah. How do you navigate it? How do you respond to your own discomfort and ignorance and the assumptions that you're making? So yeah. I think that was one of the appealing aspects of this kind of work mm. in that it was using a film that not many in the audience, I believe, Presumably. have seen, let yes. alone heard of. So historical film in that sense, grappling with stereotypes of a different era yep. while trying to juxtapose that with stereotypes that are still in play today. You know, So this idea that negotiations of cultural difference is not new is one of the things that I appreciated about what the work was trying to dig mm, into yeah. because it's a tough topic, yeah. right? Because it's a tough topic in that very often work goes there and then falls into the stereotype again. Let's say this is an essay question. There's no right answer. You've got no hope of answering that satisfactorily. So bearing that in mind... Uh, Alfian Saats, the playwright, and Mohammed Farad Jainal, the director. How successful do we think they were in negotiating all of that? Naeem? Yeah, so I mean, th- th- this is the thing I had about the play. I think there was some really, really um, crucial points that, you know, were, were being discussed here. Um, it's definitely a play which is showing Alfian, you know, at the height of his kind of sociopolitical sort of, you know, powers, really kind of analysing the issues and, and, and sort of trying to deconstruct history from different lenses and all that. What I think I had an issue with was perhaps the way it was presented. Mm. There was this constant reliance on comedy as a sort of relief mechanism. As a crutch. So, so it, it happens over and over again. You have, you know, a really serious scene where you have actors talking about cultural representation or something like that. And then, you know, there is some sort of comic interlude where, you know, they they, they sort of poke fun about intercultural theatre or surtitles or just make some remark and everyone sort of bursts out laughing. But I feel that somehow dilutes a well, bit of yes, that yes, because I think there's emotion. probably a way to do that, that just adds more air to the balloon. But here it let it out. It had the rhythm of bathos where you go up to an emotion and drop off. Drop go up to the emotion and drop off. And that meant that as the play kind of span its wheels, it never really gathered momentum for me. Yeah, I think for me the question that needed to be raised a little bit more in how to do that 
because the script moves very quickly from one thing to another. Yes. It slips in and out of the actors being the characters in the film and then being themselves and then making a comment on the film and then making a comment on each other. And that slipperiness requires a certain kind of versatility and adeptness that you know is not necessarily easy to do. But a fundamental question that I felt hadn't been taken on enough was what does it mean for an actor to play an actor who resembles the so-called actor in play? So okay. is Farida <laughs> a lot like Siti Khalija? Because it felt like Farida was a lot like Siti Khalija. Yeah, there's the whole introduction to the exactly. characters at the start where basically Siti Khalija is playing a version of herself, as is Ray Poe. And As I think there's a lot of a lot of tongue, and I think this is completely deliberate because Siti Khalija, who, as we all know, is a very accomplished stage actress, the other actor sort of gushes like, "Oh, you know, it's so great to play with you." And um, there are all these tongue-in-cheek references yeah. to um, my favorite. Um, how did the dog get so filthy and Rosma? Yeah. And you know, we all know that these are kind of like you know jibes at like you know place which she did actually participate in. So yeah, she's essentially playing herself. The Repo character also to my mind, kind of is playing some someone a bit. Well, like... it's a little bit less textured with him, but he's a representative of Chinese theatre, yeah. right? Which he's done a lot of. Yeah, and then the Faris Najid character, I would say, kind of maybe is a a general representative for the sort of rookie actor, maybe. Mm. But specifically, um, the rookie actor in Malay theatre. Yeah. And then there are the two Japanese actors whom we don't have a history of their performance or relationship yeah. with. And therefore, there is a shift that occurs when they are present because you can only respond to them as who they are on stage now, whether they are playing an actor or whether that's really what they're like, particularly for the female actress, uh, the female actor who... Rei Kitagawa. Rei Kitagawa, who takes on this rather whimsical, post-dramatic <laughs> stance. I mean, that's in the script. But is that the history of her performance work as an actor? Yeah, we wouldn't know that. We don't know. And yet, watching her, it didn't appear to be. She seemed miscast. It felt she, like she was uncomfortable with it. She was she some was... kind of... She was some kind of cross between Hello Kitty and Stephen Burkhoff. <laughs> and it, it didn't really seem to suit her physicality or, or, or what you could see in her eyes. Am I alone in thinking that? I didn't think of her as Miss Cass. I felt she was actually playing the actor who is uncomfortable with having to play that actor. Okay. You but I don't layer. know if that was an intentional layer or if that was just coming I through. I didn't see that. Yeah. yeah. Because she has this moment where she says, you know, now the soul of this character yeah. is leaving his body and she moves her arms and she yeah. becomes this spirited, perhaps no-like presence, yeah. in which case there's a particular kind of reference to Japanese, Japanese theatre. And, and I think that's the thing. The first thing we, for the predominantly non-Japanese speaking audience we're kind of relying on the surtitles and she's introduced to someone with this background in post-dramatic theatre yeah. and you and know, performance um, art and, and she just kind of brings that to absurd extremes so when she takes on the role of some general or something she's like oh how did you get this moustache oh the general gave it to me you know it's just it just everything just becomes very caricatured almost like you're mocking that entire convention of theatre so I think that that's where I feel the play kind of had 
tentacles that just sprawl out in it all these directions. It was confusing to me that they would engage in that kind of othering for the Japanese cast when they're responding against a film that was so complicit in that othering yeah. of basically everyone in Southeast Asia. Yeah, that was why the trial at the end was for me very okay, problematic. Okay, let's catch up on the trial at the end. Oh, there's not much needed to catch up, right? They get to the end of the play, they should stop, they do a trial. And so you had on stage two long tables facing the audience at an angle. On one side, you had the three Singaporean actors playing three Singaporean actors. And on the other side, you have two Japanese actors playing two Japanese actors. And the question of whether... The Japanese should take responsibility for what happened and... In this film, which was made in 1943. But then... But had been somehow recreated. Oh, I lost... I stopped caring. So it was very troubling because, in a way, history is on trial. I mean, that's what this play is trying to grapple with. Whose version of history? What are the authenticated versions of history? And how does history get revised, reviewed, reworked, reconfigured, remangled if necessary? But the trial felt very problematic as an emotional response and as an ethical response for me because... Well, and as an aesthetic response. An Can aesthetic you think response. of a more tired theatrical trope? Well... They should have just poured confetti from the ceiling as well. That would have really put the icing on the cake. This is this is where I felt there was a lot of good material mm. in the play, but I just felt that it was just not presented in the right way. Okay, what there do you was, mean by the right way yeah, then? Well, look... Because there there's no right way, wrong yeah, way, so a, what's the right way? way. But, but look, there was just an intense amount of comedy where you have all these serious emotions getting cheapened over and over again. And then there's this final attempt to kind of create this grand feeling of like, oh, let's put justice. Let's see whether we can get justice. Let's see whether we can get the answer with a capital A, you know, that sort of thing, Um, which I felt, you know, really just didn't suit the tone. I mean, look, look, I've nothing wrong with that idea of questioning history because it's very valid. It's the very act of, you know, telling a story is my view, you know, being imposed on you. I tell a story in a particular way. I impose my worldview on you. And I think that's very valid. And that's what they're trying to interrogate, like whose version of history should be the valid one. And, you know, I'm just, you know, we're sort of celebrating the bicentennial mm. uh, of Singapore's founding by Stanford Raffles. Well, some people are. I don't yeah. think everyone's <laughs> celebrating, year, actually. Well, the I government think there are a few the government's celebrating it. It's wonderful. But of course you would, yeah, Matt. Of course I, am, I would. Yeah, yeah. No, so I mean, you know, it's it's obviously a valid topic and I know this is a bit trite, but I think um, it's probably worth mentioning as well. Um, just a month ago, you know, a lot of people were kind of like talking about Crazy Rich Asians. Um, and for, right. the, for the whole reason that, you know, was this meant to be the right narrative of Singapore? Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because this play then comes a couple of weeks down the road and it's about that same idea of whose version of history is the valid one. You know, there's a lot about, you know, taking these serious issues and discussing it in a comic way. But you can use the comedy in such a way where you're still making very powerful points. I felt here the comedy just felt like it cheapened or or kind of almost was, was, was kind of... 
Yeah, um, it did have that taking that taking kind of, the intensity away from those points. It did, and Alfian, I think, has done better with that in the past. If we think of a play like Nadira, it's a play about a Muslim daughter of a Chinese uh, Muslim mother. The daughter is the vice president of the Malay Society at university. And her mother is about to marry a Chinese man and thus convert to Christianity, his religion. Her president of the religious society finds out and decides to pay the mother a visit, knowing that he has authority over her because of his whatever status he holds in in the religion and the culture. But when he turns up, he meets the Christian older man played by Tony Quek, and he just melts. He becomes this tiny little Lego figure of a creature. And it's hilarious to watch, but it's really uncomfortable, and it raises the dramatic tension at the same time. And I think, for me, the issue here was that I'm not sure Alfian personally cared that much. If you look at his work in um, Asian Boys Volume 3, Happy Endings, where he was also responding to a work of art. Here is responding to the Japanese film there. He was responding to Peculiar Chris, the novel by Johan S. Lee. Um, there, he was really in tune with characters who he could empathize with, who had their own stories, rather than merely being symbols of a greater social or historical truth. And so you had this wonderful scene, and I'm going to choke up talking about it because it was beautiful where the older characters all met their younger selves in one big kind of choreographed scene, and then they went away, and the one character who confusingly had not met his younger self remained behind, and then his younger self came out. And he said, well, why didn't you come out with all the others? And the younger self said, I was embarrassed. I didn't want to be seen with you. And it was just heartbreaking and beautiful and true. Mm. And this... I think being so bound up with culture and race and history and what is justice had the potential for the kind of comedy that we could see in Nadira and the kind of heartfelt investment that we could see in Asian Boys Volume 3. And it just was all a little bit middly and repetitive and fell into these repetitive rhythms for me. There's something valuable at the core of it. I don't think it would take too much more to get that yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. And this is one of those... Um, I mean, I think it would make a fantastic text. I'm sure a lot of people would want to read it. It's mm. it's a fantastic... They're, they're, they're very powerful themes. I, I just felt the way it was packaged and the way it was presented to mm. the audience somehow cheapened a little bit of that. There were all these, like, you know, meta-theatrical references. And well. it was just reaching out in different directions. You know, do we really need a jibe at intercultural theatre oh, yeah. and, you know, things like that. Well, meta-cinematic as well as meta-theatrical. Is and, that what you were going to talk about? Well, I was going to talk about the film, actually, mm, because good. I think another aspect of the work that was a bit disappointing was the use of the film, the way in which the film provided a somewhat flat and literal backdrop projected onto the white screen but there was so much more that could have been done with that visual material yeah. there was some comment on it from the text for example the scene of Malays sitting around having a campfire mm. singing and dancing as Malay people do of course Apparently. yes um, <laughs> and they should do more of and we should all do more of actually sit around and sing and dance a little bit more but in terms of how certain aspects of what the film was doing to 
the Japanese actor who was playing those yeah. characters. That came across to me as I was watching, and I'm recalling that now, because I'm thinking those Japanese actors were framed by Japanese filmmakers. Yeah. The Japanese actors on stage right now are being framed by Singaporean performance makers. Now, what's the relationship there? Who gets a chance to ask these questions and speak these questions aloud when a film that is supposedly anti-something is being recast as pro-something else, right? I mean, those are the options that are available, but if they're not taken through in the mise-en-scene, in the actual nitty and gritty of how this film gets worked through, then it's going to remain at a very perfunctory level. Well, there was a sense to me, and this is unfair, but there was a sense to me in which it was more revenge than investigation, especially when you put the trail on the end. Take that away, not so true, but Oh, by the end, I was rather uncomfortable with it. Well, I didn't see it as revenge. I just saw it much more as if we're going to ask this intercultural question, then we need to have a decision. And I don't think for me that works. Yes. Don't get me wrong. I mean, like, it's it's still very entertaining. And I think it's a two hour long yep. performance. And I don't think a lot of people actually felt the length just because... You know, there are very strong performances. I mean, we have Siti Khalija, we have Ray Po, we have Faris Najid, and even the Japanese actors, they all they all do a very good job. There's great chemistry between them, I think, and they sustain the, the, the show. But I think, for me, the problem was more directorial. I was going to agree about the ensemble. They were very strong ensemble. All five actors, Yuka Tanaka, Rei Kitagawa, and our three Singaporean actors. Um, I think that As an ensemble, they were tight because they had to do a lot. I mean, they had to reconstruct the stage several times over and and do that That kind of work. That was very well choreographed. And they were well choreographed. Their sense of timing was impeccable. Um, Their clarity about what they were doing was very strong as well. I guess my comment was about this idea that history is on trial and it has been in recent months in Singapore in a very important dramatic way. You know, senior historian, academic, literally on trial for something that is written and found to be erroneous. And it it becomes quite serious drama in in very real terms because there are serious implications for a person's academic career, a person's reputation and the state's reputation and its versions of history. Um, So these are now very real questions that people are having to think through, not just if you're an academic, but if you're just going to tell a story because of fake news bill and issues that pertain to representation or representation of facts and truth. And here there's a film that uses fiction to represent a truth in Japan. Because it's not claiming that the story of the Tiger of Malaya is real, but it's suggesting that this is real, what the Japanese people are doing for Malaya and how the Japanese people have helped Malayans It's a reflection the of the time. patriotism that was felt at the time. Exactly. So this question of history being on trial as a patriotic act rather than a nationalist act, I'm just thinking aloud now, is actually very, very important at the moment, precisely because if 
there's a celebration of 200 years since colonial arrival. What's it being called? It's 200 years. Since founding What's, by, yeah. Since, since Raffles arrived. Since right? Raffles <laughs> arrived. Like, so these questions of history are going to come up next year for sure. They are going to come up from all yeah. sides, from the side of those whom we see as more conventional and more straight-laced and those who's very alternative yeah. and, and radical. I mean, there are references even in the play, now that I, I recall, you know, they talk about what, what do your textbooks say about history and, you know, the, what do the Singaporean yeah. textbooks say versus what the Japanese textbooks say about history. And, you know, all of us, when we went to school, you know, we're fed a certain version of history that may not necessarily be the accurate one, but it's the one which, you know, I guess it's part of nation building in Singapore. It's kind of trying to build up this this narrative and, you know, whose narrative necessarily is right. Not just Singapore. Guess, yeah. Japan, India. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, America is writing history books, rewriting yeah. history books. Although and... currently they can't spell. <laughs> well, that's a rewriting of sorts, you see. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I guess where I was at with this whole investigation of patriotism and history was that these concepts are essentially a national fantasy. And so what I loved when I first saw it because it really broke the rhythm of the play in an interesting way was we just seen the standard pattern. The actors have watched a bit of the film. They've recreated it. And then unexpectedly, Rei Kitagawa kind of floats upwards from the dead body she's just been shot from and, and starts delivering this bizarre speech about and she rose up and she saw the stars and became the soul and it's just this ridiculous romanticism and it was a really wonderful and bizarre escape from the kind of aesthetics that we'd seen and that for me was I, I wanted to see more of that and unfortunately we saw more of that in the wrong way because they just kept repeating mm. that as an in-joke whereas for me if it had mm. got a bit more looseness and found comedy and drama and impact in the idea that we create these stupid national fantasies that don't make any sense and had found a way to aesthetically represent that. For me, that was maybe something that was missed along the way. I would have loved to see that. I think the relationship between the post-dramatic and the meta-theatrical, mm. which you've talked about, was one area where that potential could have been mined. Because there is a lot of relationship between what is post-dramatic in terms of its being either atheatrical, non-theatrical, or post-theatrical, I suppose, mm, well, is where yeah, the term yeah. is coming from. And this idea of stretching beyond what is deemed normatively theatrical, right? So you're acting and then you're not acting and then you're acting that you're not acting and then you're acting that you're not acting, acting, <laughs> you know, and on it goes, which is very difficult to do because then your understanding of presence and your understanding of performance has to be able to really trip on itself yep. depending on how your audience is responding to you as well. But was the audience responding at that point? The audience was responding, no. as you were saying, to... You know, when I watched the, the, when I watched the play, to be honest, the only, the only points when the audience actually responded was the comedy. I see why that happened, because if you had just dealt with the serious bits, my God, it would be dry. So I can really see yeah, why you the need comedy, intention you know, you to put do. the comedy in is there. But I wonder then how you get both the drama and the comedy working to support each other when you don't have any human beings in the play. Because there weren't. It was all stereotypes. 
cardboard cutouts. And I think that's where Alfian has succeeded before because his plays have had human beings who can bear the drama, who can bear the comedy and tie them together with their flesh and blood and the fact that you understand who they are. Not here. Yeah, and therefore even Liang Tech's attempt to deepen the character that he is playing in the film, which is the Chinese stereotype, is yeah. ironic because because it's a Chinese no, stereotype attempting to deepen a Chinese stereotype. Yeah, there's no opportunity for the five actor characters on stage to bring a story yeah. into play, and it is ironic, as you say, because then the very thing that it's trying to undo it ties up somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's repeating well, I'll tell again. You what, uh, I think we've pointed out a lot of problems that we found, but I'm still glad I saw it. I'm very glad I saw it. I'm very glad I saw it because, as I said to somebody immediately afterwards, it was a refreshing piece of theatre. Yeah. Uh, one, because of the work that it was doing with the film. Two, because of the way in which it was playing with culture. Yeah. For all, all these problems are the result of attempting to rethink and rework culture. And three, because there was a tight ensemble. At the end of yeah, the day, yeah, yeah. that ensemble made it work yeah. and hats off to them. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and that, that's the thing. So, I mean, like there are problems. I mean, for me, the, the problems were just minor issues with staging, but the text itself is very powerful. And if there are issues, it's just really to do with the way in which the direction kind of plays out. But, you know, I think it's immensely watchable. You know, there's great talent on stage, the fantastic moments of comedy. And, you know, I'm glad I, I caught it. It's, it's definitely something that I would remember. Can I just add that you, Katanaka is beautiful. Thank you for that. I'm sure he'll appreciate that when he hears this. <laughs> or has it translated? I've no idea whether he speaks English. Um, yeah, I think I think you should say that again. Can I just say that Yuka Tanaka is beautiful? And that's the end. Goodbye.